The Royal Winthorpe Museum Podcast. Episode 2. Modernism. Thank you for purchasing this audio guide to the Royal Winthorpe Museum. The voice you're hearing is me, Kat Sadler, and in this recording I'll be guiding you around the Winnie's extensive modernism exhibition. Now, have you got your headphones and your ear holes? Great job. Quickly check by caressing your eardrums now. That's the good stuff. We're walking and we're learning. So, turn your phone off. Actually, don't do that because then you can't hear this. Turn it back on. Don't worry about the software update. Oh, God, you pressed accept. OK, we'll wait. Right, here we go. First, some facts. What is a museum? The word museum comes from the original term museum. Named, of course, because the primitive foundations of the exhibits were made from high-density chocolate mousse. This was good news for struggling local chocolatiers, but bad news for everybody who didn't like ceilings falling on their heads. What is the Royal Winthorpe Museum? Of course, you already know this, but the Royal Winthorpe Museum is a modern-day museum named after Sir Humphrey Macallum Winthorpe, a man who was ironically lactose intolerant. A household name in the museum game, Sir Humphrey dedicated his life to collecting old things and looking at them. He decided to share his gift with the world, and that is why we're in this fairy building today. A few quickie statlets about the Winnie. The museum is bigger in square feet than the entirety of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, because Hogwarts isn't real. It was famously used as a bomb shelter during the First and Second World War for many frightened and vulnerable bombs. The Royal Winthorpe Museum has four full-time chimney sweeps on staff, a team of six chimney sweeping contractors, and as far as we're aware, no chimneys. So, what is modernism? Modernism is not to be confused with modernism, people who come from Morden, the final stop on the London Underground's northern line. Modernism came about when drunk businessmen, who needed to take the Northern Line home, realised that they would keep passing out on the tube and waking up in Morden. Instead of resolving their chronic alcoholism, these innovative liquid lunches eventually relocated their families to the Morden area. Up and down London, properties and areas at the end of tube lines are densely populated by pissheads, who have removed the responsibility of waking up in time for their stop from their busy lives. The Mordenites are direct rivals to the High Barnetarians, a splinter group movement of modernism, founded by businessmen so crunk that they got on the northern line in the wrong direction. Modernism is also not to be confused with Mordorism, the fictional region of Middle-earth occupied by Sauron. Mormonism, the writing of romantically charged fanfiction about the smash hit musical comedy The Book of Mormon, is also something else. Modernism is actually an ironic name, because it was invented in the 1900s, which is in the past. Everything that went before that was known as oldism. Before modernism, Tupperware had been planed from fine oak, or from two chalices fastened together with the threads from a countryman's robe, which was costly, and did very little to preserve the leftover carbonara. Then, in 1900, plastic came along, punched all of that square in the chops, and the rest was history. That history was shot by a dart in the wild, microchipped, and put in this museum for you to look at today. Room 1.
collection was actually quite tricky to find, so we've given you a bit of time to find the room, which is room number 74 if you've got a map. Or if you don't have a map, it's still room number 74. The curator specifically made it difficult to find this exhibit, as a comment on the stupid, pointless nature of modernism. Picture 1899. Whooping cough. <coughs> the Black Death. Tudors beheading each other for kicks, typhoid, people throwing their own excrement into the streets, pestle and mortars, Shakespeare. Now, picture 1900. Shiny, futuristic robots. Man on the moon. Dishwashers. A lot can happen in one year. It was a lot like bare naked ladies as one week, but there was 52 of them and exponentially more technological developments. That explains why the first room on the tour has so many radios in it. One for every one week of the year. Look with your eyes at the selection of radios you see before you. Aren't there a lot of radios? Yes, lots of us. It is said that the design of radios was a reflection on the tastes at the time. But why people were eating radios, we still don't know. Regular radio broadcasts began in the early 1920s. This decade was called the Roaring Twenties, although you wouldn't often hear a lion on the radio due to a shocking lack of representation and also their notoriously poor studio etiquette. Radios used to be programmed specifically for male voices because they never expected women to talk on the radio. So, if you were listening to this podcast in the 1900s, you'd be hearing this. Absolutely nothing. As a result, Women's Hour was an hour of total silence until 1996. Here's an exclusive clip from an episode of Women's Hour broadcast in 1978. Helena? No. Cast your eyes upwards and you can also see a small selection of lamps, too. Here we see many generic lamps of this era, lighting up the boring lives of this time. Illuminating mediocrity, brightening boredom. The reason people today use the term, watch out mate, or I'm going to lamp you into next week, comes from the way in which lamps were used as weapons in the modernist period. As a reaction against the rise of technology, old school fighters would shy away from automatic weapons and would instead get their hands on a decent brand of lamp for melee combat. A bulbright, or even a Christorama. Other lamps are available to lamp people with. Not again. Former Chelsea midfielder Frank Lampard got the ironic nickname Lamps because he refused to ever buy more than one lamp, choosing instead to maintain and renovate the first lamp he ever owned out of loyalty, leading to much ridicule from his teammates. John Terry once slept with Frank's lamp, plugged in and illuminated, just to get a rise out of his colleague, and their friendship to this day has never truly recovered. This is also where the saying, I'll punch your lights out, comes from. Punching was actually the only method available to turn off the earliest lamps, as it was many years before the switch was invented. In 2000, Nelly Furtado sang the song, Turn Off the Light. Famously, Nelly Furtado viewed the millennium as the end of civilization and went into hiding during Y2K. Turn off all the lights, Nelly insisted, or the planes will fall out of the sky. A line which Timberland insisted she later cut from the track. 
You can only imagine how embarrassed he must have been when it turned out she was right. Okay, now we've got radios and lamps out of the way. Onwards to room two for a real treat. Room two? Room two is all about the mechanisation of design during 1900 and 1920. Have a look around you. Looks a lot like boring old tat, doesn't it? That's because it is. Sorry, when I said treat earlier, I meant tat. I added the R-E because R-E the treat. Sorry, it's tat. This period saw the advent of mechanisation, which was architects en masse deciding to build all their buildings out of Meccano. Mechanisation saw powerful new machines enter the consumer culture, like typewriters and Terminator 2. On your right is a sewing machine. Sewing machines began as the stars of the original Transformers film, which was a box office disaster for all concerned. Against all odds, people weren't ready to queue around the block to watch a two and a half hour film about sewing machines rarely coming into contact with one another. The actress Megan Fox also had significant difficulties seductively straddling an 1881 lockstitch model 27 singer. These metal titans began churning out clobber like there was no tomorrow, or as if tomorrow would be very chilly. Women everywhere were left redundant, but warm. The sewing machine was pioneered in the hit film The Sound of Music, where Julie Andrews made a set of horrid clothes out of some curtains to punish the children for not singing in time. The final object of note in this room is the vase. Vases were a cost-saving mechanism seen as new technology. Before this, people had to stand and hold a bunch of flowers, sometimes for years on end. They would hold the flowers in one hand and a little bit of water in the other hand and they had to lightly dip the stems every few minutes, working round the clock. Many people suffered with prune hand from having to hold the water for so long. Others would suffer greatly if they were asked to hold roses or other prickly flowers. Room three. We're now moving into the juiciest section of modernism. Shiny, bonkers art, craft and design. During the Art Deco period, critics saw this new age of machines as degenerative to design at the time. So they binned them off entirely, leading to a minor earthquake as Europe's bins felt the full force of the continent dumping their appliances as one. Not again. As it turned out, machines are still knocking about to this very day. After all, that's how you're hearing me. I'm not shouting out of a window. Not this time. An apple on fire. A blind man doing the tango. Holland on the moon. These three things I just said are great examples of what's become known as surrealism. The surrealist movement was founded in 1924 by Paris Dadaists. Dadaism was an ideology based on the philosophical notion that everybody was, is and will be your daddy. This cultural movement has largely died out of modern society, apart from the phrase, who's your daddy? which is often offered up as a cheeky existentialist quip in a moment of sexy passion. A famous surrealist is artist Salvador Dali, who invented the lobster phone. Hello, is that a lobster? I need to speak with you right away. This art piece was actually so controversial that it inspired several other fish-related phones, including the Samsung prawn. It's also the origin of famous quote, I'll sleep with the fishes, a severely misheard version of I'll speak with the fishes on my lobster phone, which Dali used to say as code for 
what on earth is this art I'm producing? Like, what is it? What am I even trying to say? Before throwing his toys out of the pram and going for lunch. Turn to your right, and there is also an exhibition on the German art school, Bauhaus. Now take note. This is not to be confused with the Baha men, whose seminal hit, Who Let the Dogs Out, Who, 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 has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. Off the back of this canine club classic, the Baha men decided to strike while the dog iron was hot and release forensically similar follow-up, How Did All These Dogs Get Here? The Baha men knew there was a niche in the market for songs about dogs, which explains their far-from-platinum compendium, Now That's What I Call Songs With Dogs In Them. These songs included, but were not limited to... Check out all these surplus dogs in the vicinity. Please put the dogs back in. Dogs for sale. I've got plenty on my hands. Someone should do something about all these dogs. Restrain these blooming dogs. Dog go breaking my heart. Help, I'm surrounded by dogs. Dog me, that's a lot of dogs. And finally, take the dog for a walk around the block, let it do its business, and then we can go to bed before deciding to simply release Who Let the Dogs Out again. As the old saying, also credited to the Baha men, goes, if it ain't dog broke, don't doggy fix it. Final room. Wow. The real showstopper in this final room is this chair with a zebra print. Yes, that's right. It's an armchair, but it's got a zebra print pattern on it. Why? We just don't know. Some theorists believe the zebra was actually born in the shape of the chair itself. If you were to put this chair in the middle of a road, cars would have to let you cross on it. It's the law. Well, we've learned that modernism, despite its exciting connotations, is actually thoroughly old. And now we've got nothing to call all the tat we make today. From sewing machines to vases to zebra chair... This exhibit is truly tedious, and if you have any of this junk in your house, you should take a long, hard look at yourself in your rubbish modernist mirror. Then again, without modernism, we'd still be living in oldism. And just like Grandma's place, at the end of the day, we'd all rather just be visiting. And now time for the quiz. I'm smelling something in the museum. Can you guess what I'm smelling? (laughs) But now, let's make a quick stop at Grandma's place and interview everybody's favourite grandma, Eleanor Bobbin. Eleanor is the world's oldest sewing machine aficionado. Her fingers have threaded things you wouldn't believe. If these clothes could talk, they would say, Great job, Eleanor. You've gone and threaded us a treat. Eleanor donated the famous Hammersmith Toronto sewing machine, which sits proudly behind some more interesting sewing machines in the exhibit that we've just been through. So, Eleanor, a lovely pun to begin there. How did you get into the sewing machine trade? Excellent question. Uh, I was a young girl, not too young, you understand, uh, 16, 17, perhaps uh, 24, and uh, it was after the war, you know, and uh, everyone was sewing everything. Uh, clothes, potatoes, uh, new husbands. And um, they wanted me to uh, volunteer at the local naffy, uh, sewing uh, together uh, 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 civilian clothes 
for men returning from the war. And you know what? Uh, I just I I picked up the machine. I mean, I didn't. They're very heavy. I picked it up and I thought, this is this is the life for me. And I've just been going uh, full throttle ever since. <laughs> Full throttle on the machine itself. On, on the machine. On the is machine. that a setting on the machine? Um, yes, there's, there's four settings. There's full throttle. There's uh, gently does it. Um, there's normal, and there's uh, there's Russian. They're they're a violent breed of sewers. What kind of what setting would you recommend if I was going to make some clothes? Just normal. Normal for you. I think you uh, you you'd need to start on the basics. If I started with Russian, what would happen? Uh, there would be blood everywhere. It'd be very nasty. Don't do it. Okay, so. If I get an infinite number of monkeys and give them an infinite number of typewriters... Yes. And I mean, by I, typewriters, I, I mean sewing machines. Right, I wouldn't. It'd be messy. Would one of them sew an outfit for Shakespeare? Uh, yes. Uh, but more interestingly, um, he, would show, he would sew um, a, a lovely uh, tapestry of uh, what happens in Othello. Um, they've, they've proved this. Uh, they've proved the scientists have proved this. Uh, How have they proved it? Well, I I'm not a scientist. I wouldn't know. I think what they did was they typed it into Google, and Google said yes. Um, I but I I you you need it's a very it's the thing is the specific monkey is the important thing. You can't get a, you know a big ape. You've got to get a capuchin or smaller because they have the delicate fingers. Think of it uh, like a, a baby, but with real uh, real passion. Okay, like so dexterity we're looking for rather than... Dexterity is the word I was searching for, yes. Yes, okay, I'm with you, right. Yes. So are you afraid of the sewing machine uprising or do you feel like they'll be a nice ally for us well, in society? Well, uh, you know, look at uh, artificial intelligence. I think it's a sewing machine. Yes, it's sharp, it's got needles, it's got a, a, a wheel. It seems aggressive, but uh, it's really a gentle giant, and it has helped us so much so far. I can't, I can't possibly see be any downside to a society in which uh, there were sentient sewing machines trying to uh, do their own thing. You know, I think, I think it would be a way of uh, of everyone joining together. I mean, if there was another war, remember, mm-hmm. that's what really brought us together last time. So uh, sewing machines, yeah, yes, yes. Uh, but everyone put their, their effort in for the war. But uh, my wedding dress was, uh, was was parachute silk, sewed sewed to, by a sewing machine, and um, it was beautiful. It was very beautiful. It was um, uh, buoyant, actually. I had <laughs> to get uh, fly twenty miles away from the from the church before they caught me. But it was you know it just showed. What our what our brave boys, what a good job they were doing. Did you sew that dress yourself? I did sew. I did sew that dress. Me and my mother, my dear, dear departed mother, rest in peace. Uh, she uh, she and I sewed it, and uh, as she was sewing, <laughs> you know, we laughed, we joked. I was marrying a GI American man, and uh, <laughs> she said, uh, uh, she says, uh, "Eleanor, don't uh, don't do it. I love you. Please, he'll he'll leave you." <laughs> it's a very funny joke, but uh, actually, he did. I'm sorry, um, that's terrible. It was a long, it was a long time ago. Don't worry. Uh, I mean, you you can't trust them, can you? Uh, I should have known that at the time. Uh, GI. Well, American, Americans, Americans. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yes. Well, they uh, they've been into Velcro. Um, although I I do like the Amish. Now, there's the people who really know the salt of the earth, the lay of the land. They they sew everything, from bonnets and hats to. Uh, some of their milk, I believe. So, wow! How do you sew milk? Uh, well, I've, I haven't seen the technique myself, but I believe um, you need to get it nice and uh, nice and ripe, and uh, it sort of becomes quite a thick material, and then uh, you can do what you wish with it. 
So sort of with the with the curds. Yes, yes, sort of, yes. Uh, if you leave it long enough, it will solidify into uh, quite a nice material. I mean, don't smell it. Cheese. Well, yes, yes. Uh, hence the word cheesecloth. Of course. Yes, yes. Not a lot of people know that. Wow, and yes. that's a fabric, is it? It is a fabric, yes. Cheesecloth. Made of cheese, yes. Right. Yes. I mean, it also wraps up cheese, uh, but it is cheese. Could you sew your way out of a cardboard box, do you think? Oh, that's an excellent question. Cardboard is very hard to sew. So I sawed on the fingers. Um, I, uh, in fact, it did sew my way out of a cardboard box in, in 1973. Now, that was a piece of performance art I was doing for some local hippies. And um, they asked me, you know, if you could uh, if you could bring your sewing to life, what, what would you do? And I said, uh, well, I'd probably, I'd probably sew um, a lovely, a lovely new piece of hair for you all, but uh, they didn't like that, and they sewed me into a cardboard box. And you know, I was furious, but I admired the skill. Yeah, that is quite impressive, actually, sewing you into a cardboard box. How did you break free? Well, I'd love to say I used my sewing skills. It was mostly my teeth. Oh, okay. Yes, of course. Yes, but uh, very enjoyable in a way. It really makes you appreciate the lust for life. Gnawing away out of a cardboard box. Yes, yes, because, you know, when else are you going to do it? It's true. I mean, I've done it three times since, but I don't like to talk about it. Are you bullied a lot? What's happened? It is hard, you know, it is hard sometimes when you feel people can be malicious, dare I say. You've had a really troubled past. Well, you know, I think uh, it's a real triumph to get through these adversities, and it makes for a great autobiography. Uh, so, you know, that's the <laughs> up and down of, of, the, of the whole thing. What are you going to call your autobiography? I would probably call it A Stitch in Time? Question mark. Uh, I'm thinking of having a 14-page colour photograph uh, section. Uh, it's going to be me with some of the celebrities I've met over the years, so Jules Holland. Um, you have a sewn for him? Well, uh, now this is interesting. I I did want to sew for him a, a very nice uh, uh, sort of uh, two piece suit, uh, a sort of pea green, and um, he came round one day to uh, to try it on, and I was just you know chalking it up, and um, I, I was just uh, patting underneath his arms, and uh, he had a, 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 a patting underneath on his shirt, he had a secret pocket under his shirt, and in the pocket was was a very small drawing of a mouse, and we never brought it up again. We never did. I think he knew that. I think he knew I'd found it. It was, uh... but he's different. He's different. Well, what did the mouse look like? It wasn't a great drawing of a mouse. It was you. You could tell it was a mouse. It had the big. It had the ears. It had the nose. Um, it it nondescript really nondescript. But a mouse. You know, if you, if you saw it in court, in a lineup, you'd you'd recognise it as a mouse. Do you think it was like his emblem or something, or did he just? I- I don't, well, this, I've never wanted to ask. You see, Jules is a very private man. He's very private unless you pay him £30,000 uh, to play at your wedding. And then he's incredibly public. Um, but I felt that it, it perhaps it had been gifted to him by a friend. Maybe he'd drawn it in, in, in a moment of loneliness. Uh, one can only guess. But this is the sort of thing you learn when you're uh, sort of a sewing with the stars. Uh, another another idea for a show of mine. Oh yeah. Yes. They well they didn't let me go on the uh, Great British Sewing Bee, um, so uh, that was a bit of a blow, bit of a blow. They I wanted to be the the Mary Berry of it all really, but uh, they said no. So um, I'm, uh, I'm I'm pitching sewing with the stars to ITV, and I, I'll let you know the outcome. Yeah, we'd love to. Hear about them. Yes, Amazing. no, well, I can probably get you uh, 
get you the, the, the time so you know when to watch it on television. Do you think sewing machines are sexy? I think they're incredibly sexy. I, uh, you know, the curvature <laughs> is something I, I think about. People ask, and of course, the rhythmic pounding of the needle. But Do um, you fancy sewing machines? Well, um... Do you want to have sex with a sewing now, machine? Now, uh, I, I think love between two people is perfectly healthy. Um, but, 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 but if someone loves an object, is it wrong to rub the nether regions up and down on the side? I'm not sure. Can ju- only God can judge them if, and do you, if, if they exist. Do you think love means rubbing the genitals up and down the side of a sewing machine? O- only if the sewing machine is given prior consent. Sewn? Yes. Into a bit of material? Yes, it, it sews it out. It says, I, yes, I'm up for it. That's, uh, yes. Seems to have a waste of, of thread there. Well, I think someone has, I think you've vastly... Uh, vastly uh, uh, misunderstood the, 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 the importance of consent in a loving relationship, so <laughs> that's on you, I'm afraid. It's not my fault if your boyfriend can't spell out his uh, wishes before you uh, sit astride him. So I'm going to make some sewing machine noises now, and I want you to guess what sewing machine I'm impersonating. All, all, all right. Yes? Yes. Okay. Okay. We'll go for an easy easy first uh, one. Yes. Yes? Yes. Okay. Well, that's obviously a singer. A sewing machine that sings? Uh, it's a sewing machine with the word singer written on the side. Okay, what model, though? The X25, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Was that right? No. Oh. Uh, what was it? X24. Ah. Yeah. It's, but it, it is, I mean, the two models came out very close to each other, so I, okay. I, I'm counting that as a win. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll let it slide. Okay, next one. Now this was a Japanese model. Uh, it's it's uh, it's a man's name, and it came out in the again in the yes, in the eighties. It's a fashionable sort of it's a holographic. Oh, uh, um, Mirabatu. Yes, the Mirabatu. Yes, amazing. I, I love I love that. You know, it's very. Um, I mean, they were they they worked terribly, but they looked incredible. God, so functional, yes. weren't they? Yes. Well, no. Oh. Um, do you have another one? I of course I do. Ready? Yes. Now, if I'm not now, hmm, I think I am going to take a stab in the dark here, uh, as I do every Wednesday night uh, when we have dark sewing classes, and I'm going to say it mm, is it a traditional Croptons? It is a traditional Croptons. Oh, yes, they're very no, they're very rare antiques now, but you can get one um, on eBay. So. You can get yeah. How much are they worth? It, well, it depends. It, it, pristine condition, twelve thousand um, pounds. But you can get them for a fiver if if it's all bashed up. Okay. And people prefer that. Really, it's it's sad, but it's an aesthetic thing now. People love that. I'll do. I'll do one more. One more. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, cool. Okay. So winning streak. Final one. This is this is a tough one. Okay. So I'm going to be excited if you get this. All right. I'm then. Very impressed. Here we really. go. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Go on. Yeah, could I have it again? Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm going to just, I'm going to go through a quarter of the wind. I'm going to say it's an American model. I think it is the Raleigh Primer. Raleigh Primer. It is the Raleigh, it's the Primer. Raleigh Primer. Oh, it's, it's absolutely marvelous. I uh, was at four for four. Was it? It was four for four. You Very are truly. Good. 
a sewing machine expert. Well, yeah, no, I am. I am. So, Eleanor Bobbin. Yes. What's your favourite artefact in the Winthorpe and why? This is an excellent question. Um, it would have to be... Now, tucked away at the back here, you notice there's a beautiful rack to keep uh, to keep all your various uh, uh, thimbles on, sort of thimble collector's rack. And um, each each thimble in the collection is, is a different member of a thrash metal band. And it's a very rare collector's item, but you can see uh, all the members of uh, a Cradle of Filth, uh, among other excellent bands. Uh, I think they've even got Kiss in there, which is, of course, rather controversial. They are, of course, a, more of a, a glam metal band. Uh, nonetheless, it's a beautiful collector's item. It's very... I believe it's the only one in the world. And um, there's no one else you can see uh, all the members of, of Kiss and uh, Alice Cooper, again, controversially, uh, in one place, on, on thimbles. Cradle of Filth. Cradle of Filth. What's your favourite song and why? Um... Uh, probably anything of their earlier stuff. I I felt they really w- went off the rails a bit. Uh, it got sort of lewd in the later years. What's what's that? One of their first songs. Uh, that goes. They, they they have the one. I don't like to say it on the radio. They have the one. Um, do you know anal biscuit? No. How does that one go? Uh, oh, I can't remember. The lyrics are something like anal anal biscuit anal biscuit. Don't eat it. You know that? Yes. No, and it's young one. people's music. I'm not entirely sure, but they look they look lovely on the thimbles. That that is nice. Thank you. Yes, very welcome. Um, so, lastly, for every guest we have on the museum tour podcast, oh. we ask them to sign a guest book. Oh, lovely! Can you read out what you wrote in the guest book? I can indeed. I've got it here. It says, uh, "Dear Winthrop, thank you for having me. Um, the cafe was sort of more than I was thinking it was going to be. Maybe look into that." A lovely message. Yes. Thank you, Eleanor Bobbin. You're very welcome. A senile take on the art of sewing. Pardon? We've walked and we've learned. If you were wondering, the answer to the quiz was, I was smelling a grandma. <laughs> Keep your eyes on the prize of episode three, where the tour will continue. Until next time, goodbye. The Royal Winthorpe Museum podcast was written by Cameron Loxdale and Kat Sadler. It was produced by Catherine Brinkworth and it starred Kat Sadler and Eleanor Morton. The music was by Tom Parker. You have been listening to a Red Apple Creative original podcast. For more great podcasts from Red Apple, just go to redapplecreative.co.uk.